Welcome to the Northeast Christian Podcast. We're so excited that you've decided to check out our weekly messages. We hope that you're challenged and inspired by what you're hearing today. We'd love to have you join us this weekend at one of our campuses or online at northeast.live. For more information on Northeast, visit us at necchurch.org. If you love the Northeast podcast, subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment or a rating in the Apple Podcast Store. Today, I'm going to start by introducing justification to you. And you saw the, the next three upcoming weeks. I want to begin by giving you justification because this is where Paul goes next. And it's honestly core to the gospel. So would you stand with me? We're going to read Galatians 2. If you're able, please stand. Uh, we come under the authority of God's word by standing. If you can't stand, just put your heart and mind in a place of authority under the word of God here. Because Paul's got something to say. Pretty dense passage, by the way. Hang with me, though, and try to grab what the overarching message of it is. Galatians 2.16, the apostle Paul writes, Yet we know that a person is justified. Justified. Not by the works of the law, or anything else I, would might, uh, I might add, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And we've come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by doing the works of the law because no one will be justified by the works of the law. He's trying to make a point here. <laughs> but if in our effort to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. But if I build up again the very things I once tore down, then I demonstrate that I'm a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Popular passage here. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if justification comes through the law or anything else, then Christ died for nothing. Would you real quick read with me again Galatians 2.16. Let's read it together. Yet we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord, you can be seated. And thanks be to God for every last word of his word, especially justification. Now, real quick, we're going we're to get really practical today. It's going to be a very practical sermon. But before we go practical... I want to give you like a basic theology class definition of justification because this is an important doctrine, okay? So you can go full screen with the slide here. Uh, for you note takers, this is your moment, all right? Uh, justification is actually the Greek word dikaiosine. Um, it comes from the dikai word group. Uh, the, the verb is dikaiao, and uh, it just means righteousness. Or in its verbal form, it was often used in law court contexts when a judge would declare someone righteous or pardoned or vindicated in the eyes of the court. Now, can you see how this applies to us in the divine courtroom? Can you see? Here's how the doctrine works for us. We are all guilty of sin and deserving of punishment. We try throughout our lives to justify ourselves, but eventually we come to the conclusion that we can't. And so it feels like we are about to be pronounced guilty by the judge. But through faith, Jesus's perfect righteousness is actually credited to us. That means what's true of Jesus in his cross, in his empty tomb, becomes true of us. Therefore, we are declared righteous by the judge and pardoned of sin's penalty. Or in street talk, 
I would say it to you like this. Salvation is not achieved through effort. It's received by grace. This is the doctrine of justification. Say, uh, received, not achieved. There you go. You got it. Now, let's get practical. Do you follow the theological argument there? Okay, if you didn't, I think the practical side of this will, will help you. Um, the reason why I want you to say received, not achieved, is because, uh, well, it sounds nice. And when it comes to our salvation, we like, we like that. We like the whole grace and free justification idea. But I would suggest to you that, that while it sounds catchy and it sounds nice, most of us don't live that way. Most of us don't live in light of free justification. Most of us live our lives trying to justify ourselves, vindicate ourselves, prove our worth to the world. Uh, when I used to play sports, if you had a dude that just came out and he was super hype and he was like getting buckets or, or playing defense like a dog, you would elbow your teammate and you'd be like, that dude's got something to prove. He plays like he's got something to prove. You know what I'm talking about? That's all of us in life. And who could blame us, by the way? Because that's how our world works. Our society functions like a, a meritocracy. And in a meritocracy, you are what you produce. You're worth your work. Again, the purest example of a meritocracy is, is sport. Uh, because in sport, the best player gets the playing time. Like who plays? The best play. If you want to get off the bench, you got to prove your worth to your coach. If you want to stay off the bench, well, you got to continue to produce. If you want to be an all-star, Hall of Fame level, then you have to justify your greatness in the eyes of others by outproducing everyone else. Do you see the metaphor? In the same way, that's our society. We're all building what one pastor called a validating performance record in order to prove our worth. I'll give you several examples here. Um, um, in work, in your career, what's your validating performance record? What, what's your resume? Build in your resume, build in your portfolio. And if you build that resume up good enough, then when you apply for that job or you want that promotion, the bosses will look at it and maybe they'll give it to you. It validates you. In school, it's your academic record. Some of y'all applying to college uh, soon, uh, you know that they're gonna look at your academic record. They're gonna look at your grades. They're gonna look at your extracurriculars. They're gonna look at your uh, you know, community service, all the things. And if the admissions group deems you worthy, deems your performance record good enough, then you get in. In academia, it's your appointments and your publishings and your peer reviews. In entertainment, it's your awards, your sales, your fame, your audience size. As a parent, by the way, did you know that many of us use our kids as our validating performance record? As a parent, it's your kids' successes. In sports, it's your stats. Or on an airplane, it's your triple medallion, platinum, gold, diamond, you don't have to sit with the peasants like me status. You know? <laughs> At a human level, we all understand our performance records validate us. And so what we do is we strive and strive and strive in order to prove at the very least that we aren't bad and broken. Or at the most, we're special. But here's my question for you. Does all the striving really work? 
See, my argument today is while we strive, it doesn't appear so. It doesn't appear that, that it works. I'm gonna give you five examples here, just from different angles of life so that you can see no matter how good your performance record is, it doesn't work. Uh, this is a picture of, of Harold Abrams. He was depicted in the movie Chariots of Fire. Anybody ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire? This is a good movie. Um, in 1924, gold medalist sprinter in the 100 meters. Best runner in the world. And yet, when he was asked, why do you run, Harold? This is what he, he said. He said, and I quote, I'm forever in pursuit and I don't even know what I'm chasing. I'll raise my eyes and look down the corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? Ooh. Now you hear him, right? Do you hear what he's saying? I'm sure at one point running was fun for him. But over time it transformed from fun or even something he did to who he is. You never believe, I, I get an opportunity to work with lots of young athletes. It's where my ministry days started, was working with young athletes. And athletes that make it to a collegiate level or beyond play professionally, it is incredible the identity crisis that they go through when they have to hang up their spikes for the last time. Next picture here, this is Jim Carrey. One of the goats of comedic acting. I mean, you can just go through them. The Truman Show, The Mask, Dumb and Dumber, Ace Ventura, Liar, Liar, Grinch, The Cable Guy. He was the Grinch. You remember that, right? He was the Grinch in the early 2000s. And he's reinvented himself for an entire new generation as Dr. Robotnik in Sonic. That's how my son knows him. <laughs> but at the height of his fame, here's what Jim Carrey said about it. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous in everything they ever dream so they can see that's not the answer. At the Golden Globes in 2016, he was awarded best motion picture. And in his speech, <laughs> this is what he said. I can just hear it in his voice. He said, thank you. I am two time Gold Globe winner, Jim Carrey. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. Going to get some well needed shut eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream, no sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. Because then I would be enough. It would finally be true. And I could stop this terrible search for what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. Now talk about a buzzkill for an award show. <laughs> I mean... It's like, when we get to the next award, <laughs> pull the lights down. But, but at least he's honest. And do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, hey, um, my performance record is better than yours. And yet it's not enough. I read an article recently in The Atlantic by David Brooks. I like a lot of his stuff. Um, it's called The New Old Age. New Old Age. And in it, he talks about this phenomena where incredibly successful like C-level people retire and they experience a total identity crisis and they just don't know how to reinvent themselves. They don't know how to matter anymore outside of their job. So Stanford, I'm not making this up, Stanford has actually created a new program called the Distinguished Careers Institute 
so that these adults who are in their, their 50s and 60s retiring from their, their main careers can spend time in a classroom environment with others workshopping how to reinvent themselves and figure out what's next. In the article, Brooks tells stories about how these incredibly successful people were just depressed. One guy hyperventilated in class and couldn't even talk because he came to the realization that his performance records didn't matter as much as they used to. He didn't know who he was. What about parenting? Spoke to that earlier. Did you know that parenting can come to justify your worth? Uh, in an achievement culture, our kids' successes come to define us. So that's why a lot of people have their kids in like eight activities and they will murder by the murder. Any little league coach, any teacher who says anything bad about little Timmy, what, she gave you a B? Let me talk to her, you know? But I'll tell you this, if you are trying to justify your existence on the backs of your kids, you're gonna crush them and they're gonna fail you because they're human just like you. Uh, last one, another popular way people are trying to justify themselves today is through uh, political activism and justice work, which by the way, we're about to justice work here at the Love the Ville Church, but this is why I think it's so important that you don't do justice without Jesus. Because if you do justice without Jesus, a lot of times it'll consume your identity and either make you hateful or cynical. You need Jesus to survive it. So Elizabeth Nolan Brown, she actually cites psychological research, by the way, that proves this, showing that a lot of the energy around justice work today is, and I quote, a function of self-interest wielded to assuage feelings of personal culpability for societal's, uh, societal harms or to reinforce one's status as a very good person. That's a mouthful there. What she's saying, she's saying we all feel like we gotta prove that we're good. And so we do justice work to either relieve our shame or to signal to the world that we're good, we're righteous. Now I could go on, but you see, you see, we are all trying to build a performance record, aren't we? We're all trying to justify our existence in our own unique ways. What's your way, right? Justification is a need within every last one of us, but we can't justify ourselves. Hmm. We can't even live up to our own standards. You know that, right? So I, I heard a pastor say it like this one. He said, I want you to imagine that you uh, walked through life followed by this little camera, this little hidden camera. And the camera only clicked on and recorded you when you said to someone else the way you thought they should live. Anytime you said to someone else your standards of life, like I think you should do this, or I think you should be like this, or actually I think, it, that's when the camera clicked on, record, click, and it puts it in recording. Then he said, I want you to imagine, then you go to judgment day and you stand before the divine judge and God says, you know what? Let me see the camera. Um, I'm gonna be fair here. I'm not gonna judge you based on what the Bible says. I'm not gonna judge you based on Jesus's righteous standard. Who could meet that anyways? I'm just gonna judge you on your own standard. Live your truth, girl. Okay, let's see how you do. Play. And in that moment, not one of us could stand. Not even on a judgment day based on our own standards. 
So you see, okay, so let me say this a little bit different because I, I want you to see that justification is something we're all looking for. I believe one of the reasons why we over-identify with these here and now lesser identity markers like work or my status or, or my kids, whatever, right, is because we are all trying to justify our existence, but we can't. Now, you know what some people will say, you know what I'm talking about? Some people will say at this moment, they'll be like, okay, Tyler, I, I see, I see what you're saying. Most people are like that, but not me, not me. Because I don't care what, what others think about me. I don't care, and you shouldn't care so much either. Okay, again, sounds nice, but I would suggest to you that you can't actually live that way. If you truly don't care what anyone else thinks, you're gonna be a, a bad spouse, a bad friend, a bad neighbor, you're gonna be lonely. I don't care what anyone else thinks of me. That's called selfishness. They actually have a psychological diagnosis for not caring about what other, others think. It's called being a sociopath. There's a show about you, Criminal Minds. <laughs> so so I, I just have found that when most people say, uh, who cares what others think? They're actually projecting because at one point in time, they cared way too much about what others think. And they came to realize that nothing I ever do, nothing will ever make everyone like me. And there is no amount of peer affirmation, zero, that will ever be enough to settle my soul. So you can't justify your own existence. You can't do enough to get others to do it for you. What are we to do? Well, into this shared human struggle, Paul writes, and he gives us an unbelievable answer. Free justification in Jesus. You don't have to prove that you're not broken or bad because you're pardoned in Christ. You don't have to prove that somehow you're special because you've been declared righteous in Christ. Your vindicated identity is not achieved, it's received through faith and it's free. Free justification in Jesus. And look, I know it sounds too good to be true in a meritocratic world where it's constantly burdening us with the thought of getting a better and better and better performance record. We got Jesus over here like paying our debt, crediting us his righteousness and setting us free, for free. But it's true, like there's no other spirituality, no other religion, no other self-help plan quite like this and it's all grace. It's a gift and it sounds too good to be true, but that's the point. That's why when we sing about it, we sing amazing grace. Not sort of kind of unsurprising grace, amazing grace. How sweet to sound. Now you following me on the, just, uh, on, the, on the doctrine of justification. You guys with me still? Give me head nods, no? Okay. All right. Because here's the deal. That's what most people know about justification. There's more. I feel like one of those old infomercials, right? But there's more, you know, like there's actually more because the apostle Paul in Galatians 2 actually adds another layer to justification that is rarely ever taught. I don't think I've ever heard a sermon that's actually taught about how Paul applies justifications in Gal justification in Galatians 2. Because here's what Paul argues, I'm gonna show you. Paul argues that when you're justified, it doesn't just give you this righteous identity in Christ. It also gives you somewhere to belong. 
The effect of being justified isn't just like a deeply satisfying personal identity. It's also a deeply stabilizing corporate identity. So let me show you in Galatians 2. First, quick review of Galatians. Can you throw the Galatians review slide up there? Um, if you guys were here, who was here two weeks ago when we studied Galatians? So you'll remember this. This is like the interpretive key for the entire book. Sums it up pretty well for you, all right? If you remember, Galatians is a theologically dense letter written by Paul to a network of churches he planted in Galatia. And there is a problem. He's writing this because there's a problem there in Galatia. Some very influential false teachers from within Christianity, we might call these Jewish Christian missionaries, have come and they've undermined Paul's gospel to the Gentiles there by adding Torah allegiance on top of it. They're like, sure, you're justified by faith in Jesus, but also works of the law. You need Jesus and Torah, Jesus and circumcision. And Paul ain't happy about that. In fact, if you read it, you see his tone is fiery and frustrated. And that's because the stakes are high. He sees a potential split coming. Like if we don't fix this, then we're gonna have the Jesus plus Torah Christians and then the Jesus plus nothing Christians and that ain't no good. So his entire book, you can see the outline here, he addresses that. And in the first two chapters, part A, he is defending his Jesus plus no nothing gospel that he preached. You remember this? This is the context of Galatians 2 when he starts talking about justification. Now, as he's defending his gospel, uh, he tells a story to the Galatians about, about something he experienced in the church in Antioch. Him and Barnabas planted the church in Antioch. It was a mostly Gentile church, Jew and Gentile, but it was mostly Gentile church. And Peter came to visit them. Peter, yeah, like Peter, the one we read about in the New Testament, like one of the top disciples, he comes to visit. And when he comes to visit Paul and Barnabas, he lives like the Jesus plus nothing gospel. He eats with the Gentiles, he's yucking it up with them, everything's going well. But then all of a sudden, these Jewish Christian missionaries come up. The James people is what they're called. And I don't know what happened, but they, like they literally destabilized Peter's beliefs so much that Peter stopped eating with the Gentiles at the church potluck and there were two tables. The Jewish Christians and the Jesus plus nothing Christians. And guess who went with Peter? Barnabas! Of all people, like Barnabas brought Paul, Barnabas helped plant Antioch. And now we got Barnabas and Peter over here at the, at the other table. So Paul sets it off. Paul tells Peter and Barnabas, that ain't right. You guys are being hypocrites. And do you know what he uses in order to defend a common table at worship? The doctrine of justification. Galatians chapter two, verse 14. Paul says, when I saw that Peter and Barnabas and them others were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Or in other words, he's saying, you're flip-flopping, man. You were eating with them, now you're not eating with them. He goes, we ourselves, and he's kind of being sarcastic here, but he's like, we ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners like them, right? Yeah, I know. Except for the fact that we also know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, are you following his logic here? Because I want you to follow the logic of this. It's a beautiful thing. Paul is actually arguing that justification is more than just pardon from sin. It's more than just a personal declaration of righteousness. It is that, but it's more than that. It's also a family. It's peer affirmation. It's in Christness. You can throw my little equation up there. At a personal level, justification leads to pardon 
and righteousness, but at a corporate level, it leads to equality and oneness. That's why Paul writes in Galatians 3.26, sums it up well. He says, you are all children of God, all y'all, through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, no longer slave or free, no longer male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you're the true children of Abraham. What a doctrine. And that's true of you today. So again, let me sum it up for you because we've said a lot. We've said a lot. Let me sum it up for you. Next slide. Here's justification and street talk. All right. You have been justified through faith in Christ. So I don't have to prove I'm not bad because I've been pardoned. I don't have to prove I'm special because I've been declared righteous. I don't need peer affirmation. I've been given a family. And it's all grace, y'all. Amen. Amen. Any questions? Let's go to church. Here's what I would suggest to you today. Most of our struggles in life come from the fact that we don't accept these truths at an identity level. Put the, the slide back up there again with the truths on it. Most of our struggles in life come from the fact that we don't accept these truths right here at an identity level. We don't live like these truths right here are the truest things about us. What if we did? What if you did? See, what I've noticed is that we can sort of just like spiritualize these truths away as, as nice lyrics that we sing about on Sunday morning. I'm a child of God, sure. You know, my chains are gone. But then when it comes to how we actually identify every day, it has nothing to do with these. What we do is we over-identify with the, with the world's here and now identity markers and we under-identify with God's eternal ones. And that's backwards. Hey girl, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, my name's Christina. Uh, I'm an Enneagram nine. Also, I'm in marketing. Also boy mom, also fashion influencer on the gram. Also, I live in Louisville, so I better tell you what high school I went to. Also, uh, she, her. Also, I live in Oldham County, not in Jefferson County like this, you know what I'm saying? Um, uh, and also, hashtag never Trump. Also, hashtag pink Stanley Cup. Also, hashtag card so hard. Hashtag, hashtag, whatever, right? Like, that's what we do. We chuckle. This is exactly what we do, though. I want you to think about this. When you ask people, tell me a little bit about yourself. A lot of times, where do they start? They'll start with, with their job. Well, you know, I'm an engineer. If they're good at their job, then they'll tell you their title. I'm the director of, you know, HR or whatever. Then maybe we'll drop in our favorite personality inventory. I'm an Enneagram, whatever, you know, I'm DISC. More people know their DISC and their Enneagram, by the way, than what justification means, which is a problem. Then you've got genetic testing today that's just boomed. You've got Ancestry.com, uh, what's it called, 23andMe. The, the genetic testing uh, industry is a multi-billion dollar industry now. You know why? Because people just wanna know who they are. Arguably the most uh, effective type of advertising is called inadequacy marketing. 
You've heard of it. You've definitely experienced it. Basically, brands don't sell you products anymore. They sell you identities. They say, hey, if you drink this beer, you're fit, but also like to party, you know? <laughs> hey, if you drive a Lincoln, you could be cool like Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, you know? Like, or hey, if you take this magic pill, you'll be in a bathtub on a mountain with your wife. All right. <laughs> and, and we need to get that off the screen. And, and y'all know the opposite's true as well. The opposite's true as well. The, subte the subtext is, and also if you don't buy our product, you're a loser. Uh, for many people, this is why we are so addicted or consumed by social media. Every part of our lives are documented or curated because it gives us an opportunity to create an identity for ourselves that we actually like. Every politician and mainstream news outlet knows the power of this. That's why they leverage what we call identity politics in order to get us to believe that we should vote this way or support this candidate because of the, the way that we are. No, if you're black, you vote like this. If you're gay, you vote like this. If you're a Southerner, you vote like this. It you know that educated people only vote like this. You know that young people only vote like this. You know that true patriots, they only vote like this. Or the one that makes me the maddest. I mean, you know, there's when pastors stand on stage and like, you're only, you're only a Christian if you vote like this. Then you got the sexual revolution that has sold an entire generation on the false identity truth that you are who you wanna sleep with. And I just gotta to say today that that is very confusing because you don't have to sleep with anyone to be someone. Romance isn't a requirement to live a full and meaningful life. Exhibit A, Jesus, exhibit B, Paul. But these desires are strong, they're so strong that we've coronated them as the most fundamental part of who we are. You know, I identify as fill in the blank. So, so here's the thing, here's the thing. So many examples, right, here's the thing. The way the Christian sacred texts, God's word, talk about identity formation is different than our world. It's just different. Because your identity is not based on anything that you do. It's based on what's been done for you. Your identity is rooted in your orientation towards Christ. And if you're in Christ, you get your identity from Jesus. But if you're not, you've got to build your own and good luck with that. This is where Paul says, Galatians 2.16, we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And I would just ask you today, what are you using to justify yourself with? Whatever it is, just fill in the blank. Take works of the law out because that's what Paul was teaching about to his community then. But take works of the law out and put in whatever you're using, whatever you're striving, whatever you're, whatever you're hoping that would justify your life. And the statement's still true. We know that a person is not justified by proving yourself at work, by earning a big salary, by getting perfect grades by building your trophy case, by acceptance in that crowd, by raising great kids, by finding romance, by any amount of affirmation from this world, by making any sort of difference in this world, 
by your moral record, by any performance record at all. We know that a person is justified not by any of these things, but through faith in Jesus Christ alone. So let me say it one more time, loud enough for those in the back. You're justified in Christ by faith for free, which means you don't have to prove you're not bad, you've been pardoned. You don't have to prove you're special. You've been declared righteous. You don't have to earn peer affirmation. You've been given a family and it's all grace, y'all. It's all grace. Above and beyond all the here and now lesser identities the world thrusts on you, this is who you are. So what is it that you over-identify with right now? I'll tell you, it'll never be enough. But Jesus is. So you do me a favor? Will you put our verse in our empty blank up there? Put our verse in our empty blank, Galatians 2.16. And I just want you to take a moment right now and I want you to reflect on this as we prepare our hearts for communion. <laughs>